Well, you can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to uh, begin a series this morning through the book of Colossians titled, Jesus, First Place in Everything. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. And what we're going to do this morning by way of introduction, we're actually going to read through the entire book of Colossians. Now, if that sounds totally exhausting to you, I have good news. It only takes about 10 minutes. And so we're going to read this book and get familiar with it. Follow along. If you have a different version, I think that's almost even better because it even causes you maybe to stick with it a little bit longer. But we're going to read the whole book of Colossians. And then don't worry, there's not a full-on sermon after that. We're just going to make some introductory notes as we prepare our hearts for what God has for us in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God for you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith... Stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known the great, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed all the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on and on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings... These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and even severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. 
seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed or everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He wants you to stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from, the La from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. What a wonderful 
wonderful letter we have the opportunity to work through over the next several weeks. After I told Pastor Matt I was going to read through the entire book of Colossians, uh, he said, well, you could tell the people who are doing the one-year Bible reading plan they can check off the book of Colossians now. So if, uh, if you've got your Bible reading plan and you're doing that, you can check off a few boxes. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise, you can get to it when you get to it. About 10 minutes to read an entire book of the New Testament can I encourage you? What, if you? what if you read the book of Colossians every day for the rest of February? You took 10 minutes every day for the rest of this month and read through the book of Colossians. How well would you know Colossians by the end of it? This is an important letter. The book of Colossians is important for us today because it answers a lot of questions for us. A lot of questions that were being asked back then. Questions like, does this universe have a purpose? Does it have meaning? Does it have a creator? This is, this is something that's addressed in this book. Other questions like, is spiritual growth and maturity the result of adhering to man-made rules and religions? Other questions like, do, do the variety of philosophies that we face today, do they have something to offer Christianity? Questions like, is being a Christian primarily about the things that I do, or is it about who I am in Jesus? Even in our culture today, we can even ask the question, is there a push in our culture today that all religions be viewed as basically the same and we should all just try to get together and, you know, coexist, if you've ever seen that bumper sticker? These questions and more will be answered as we get to walk through this letter. But this morning, as I take uh, just a few minutes to introduce this letter, we're going we're gonna to focus on the context of the church. Context before content, that's important. We'll see how this church came about and why it warranted a letter from the great Apostle Paul. I think archaeology is something that really fascinates me. And I, I imagine for many of you, uh, after Amber and I were married, we, we had the opportunity to uh, tour some Mayan ruins in Cozumel. And, you know, to, to go through these, these, these ancient buildings and to see the different temples and, and how they lived and actually to walk amongst this, this city of this ancient people, it's, it's almost like you get to travel back in time. You get, to, you get to see what life was like. You get to see what they did and their thought processes and why they did it. Well, that's kind of what we're going to do this morning. I can't take you to the town of Colossae. As a matter of fact, if you went today, I think they've discovered a, a church from maybe around the 1200s, but it's long been deserted. There's a town about three miles away, but really Colossae is, is quite insignificant as far as archaeology uh, is concerned today. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to jump back, and we're going to better understand the context of this letter. And as I was able to do this, I was able to see some things about God that really encouraged my heart, and I trust they will encourage yours as well, which is why the title of this message is The Caring Heart of God. And I think you'll see why I titled it that as we go through this introduction we're going to look at three wonderful discoveries about the caring heart of God. Three wonderful discoveries about the caring heart of God. As you get to know the Colossian church, you will see that God cares about, number one, he cares about the insignificant. God cares about the insignificant. Now, Colossae is, was a town about 100 miles from Ephesus. You're probably familiar with that church. It was in the Lycus Valley, and it was really close to two other cities, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, both of which are mentioned in this letter. Now, those three cities, 
Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, they were all within about 10 miles of each other, kind of formed a little triangle. They were, at one time, all thriving cities. They sat on a very important trade route and all these things, and so they were, they were thriving. But over the course of time, and not very much time, Colossae began to dwindle. Colossae was kind of slipping off into almost total obscurity. Laodicea and Hierapolis has kind of upstaged it, and really by the time the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Colossae was a small town. They weren't hosting any Super Bowls, and they didn't have any teams, you know, they didn't have any pro football teams in the town. It was a small town. It was an insignificant town. It had lost kind of all of its business, and it just, it was just on the decline. Now, the church, on the other hand, Paul never visited the church in Colossae. If you go through the book of Acts, actually, it's not even mentioned. Paul, so Paul didn't start this church. So we have to ask the question, how did this church start? Well, we, in chapter 1 and even later in chapter 4, we get the, the name of a man whose who's, name is um, Epaphras. And what we know from the book of Acts is, remember, uh, Ephesus is about 100 miles away. And Paul spent many years there, I think three years there. And during those three years, the the Holy Spirit was working in Ephesus. And Acts chapter 19, verse 10 says this. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says, All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So when Paul was in Ephesus, the gospel just spread everywhere. And so we know from this book that it was Epaphras who brought the gospel to Colossae. So apparently Epaphras was in Ephesus. He heard the gospel. He was saved. And being a native of Colossae, he brought it back to his hometown. And began to share with his neighbors what God had done for him through Jesus Christ. So what we have in Colossae, we have a, we have a small town and a young church. A small town and a young church. And here's why I say God cares about the insignificant. It's because Paul had never been there. He had never even visited after it was established. We know that because Paul says in chapter 2, he says, I long for all those who have not seen me face to face. Yet this small town, no-name church, that was started by a businessman who was probably just traveling to Ephesus on business, found significance in God's eyes. God doesn't care about the population of a town, nor does he care about the popularity of a person. He cares about people. He cares about their hearts, their destiny. No matter how insignificant they may seem. Jesus, you remember, Jesus was around some of the most insignificant people, humanly speaking. He was actually known for it. He was known for being around insignificant people. Zacchaeus, when he climbed the tree, others saw this, this thief, because he was. They saw a traitor to the nation of Israel, because he, he gave himself over to the Romans to steal from his fellow kinsmen. Yet when Jesus saw him, he saw a man who was lost, but who had now been found, and salvation came to his house. Remember when Jesus was eating with the Pharisees, and that woman that was leading such a sinful life came in, and she was weeping at the feet of Jesus, and, and wiping his feet with her own hair. The Pharisees looked at that and, and said, man, if Jesus only knew what kind of woman this was, and yet Jesus knew. The Pharisees saw an outcast, but Jesus saw her faith and forgave her. God cares about the insignificant 
No matter how insignificant you may feel, no matter how insignificant you think your job may be or the town you live in is or whatever it might be, God cares. And God gave them potential in Christ. He gave them potential in Christ. He gave the insignificant potential. Now, the potential of that city was limited. But the potential that people have through Christ is limitless. Now, I want to touch on that word potential because you won't find the word potential in the Bible. As a matter of fact, most times today it's often used in a way uh, to motivate people in ways that are, that are vague and unclear to pursue vain and unrealistic pursuits. But here's what I want you to understand. Through Christ, there is potential for you to do something with your life that you can never do apart from him. Through Christ, there is potential for you to do something with your life that you can never do apart from him. And it has nothing to do with you reaching potentials in sports, in academics, in careers, in your hobbies, in relationships, in finances, or anything like that. Through Christ, here's this great thing about it. I think we see this in Epaphras, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to know him throughout this letter. But through Christ, you have the potential to be used by him to spread the gospel. And maybe even die for it. I just... Just so everybody is clear on, on the potential you have as a follower of Jesus Christ, your greatest potential for your life from God through Christ has little to do with athletics or business, but has everything to do with you have the potential to be used greatly by God to spread his gospel among the people in your life and maybe even die and suffer for it. That's the potential you have. Now, if that's not what you signed up for when you came to Christianity and you thought maybe, you know, you were going to achieve your potential in the, you know, in, in, the, in the finance world or whatever it might be, sorry, God's going to fail you. Because that's not what he's about. But God does care about the insignificant, and through Jesus, he gives them the highest potential. But there's a second, there's a second thing God cares about. He cares about the endangered cares about the endangered. Now, another key part to the book of Colossians is why Paul was writing this book or this letter. Now, Paul was in prison at the time we wrote this, because remember he talks about, he says for, for he's, I want to, I want to, chapter four, he says, I want to make the word of God known. He says, on account of which I am in prison. So this is one of his prison letters. Ephesians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon are the other prison epistles. So he's most likely, there's different things, but most likely Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And this is Acts chapter 21, verse 28. Uh, Acts chapter 21 through chapter 28. And so while Paul was, now if you remember, if you remember, while Paul's in prison, he meets a runaway slave. And this runaway slave's name was Onesimus. And somehow this Onesimus, this runaway slave gets saved, and Paul is going to send him back to his owner with a letter that we have called Philemon. Philemon was a leader in the Colossian church. And Onesimus, this runaway slave, is now part of the Colossian church. And so that's what we have is the connection there. But someone else showed up while Paul was in prison. And it was Epaphras. Again, Epaphras was most likely saved under Paul's ministry when he was in Ephesus. Epaphras travels to Rome. That's about a thousand miles. And he travels to Rome for one reason... And really one reason only, he wanted Paul's help. 
The church was being threatened. The church was in danger about all these different philosophies, these religious philosophies and things going on. And Epaphras knew this young church needed help. And so he traveled a thousand miles to go find help from Paul. And that's Paul writes this letter, having never been there. But there's a mixture of this Greek paganism and this Jewish legalism. And, and somehow people were finding a way for these two to work together. And I think that just shows us Satan doesn't matter what the religions are. If he can get them to work together and get people confused, he's going to use it. We have Greek paganism on one hand, religious uh, Jewish legalism on the other hand, and a lot of that's in chapter 2, and it was just, even commentators, nobody knows exactly what is this philosophy, what is this religion that's going on here, it's like a mixture of a bunch of different things. But that was the threat. The false religions and false teachings about Jesus don't seem to have been in the church, because Paul isn't calling anybody out, but they definitely understood the danger. God cares about the endangered. And Paul is writing to warn them about what's out there and telling them to avoid it. It's a preventative letter, if you want to put it that way. But either way, however the, 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 the message or the heresy was dressed up, the idea was Jesus was not sufficient. Jesus was not sufficient to save you. Jesus, not, Jesus is not sufficient to make you help you grow and mature in your Christian life. He is not sufficient. There's more to being spiritual. There's, there's more to being a Christian than Jesus. And we looked at a number of different things that we read through there. There's this Greek philosophy that was too simplistic. As a matter of fact, we get this in 1 Corinthians. The Greek philosophy, it was too simplistic. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The Greeks scorned the gospel. That's way too simple. They, they, they claim there has to be, like, you have to like, achieve this higher knowledge of spirituality. Just open yourself up, and once, it, once your mind can achieve like, a higher knowledge of spirituality, then you've really made it. You have to encounter some sort of spiritual enlightenment in order for you to truly be spiritual. Jesus wasn't enough. The gospel wasn't enough. They taught that matter was evil, and therefore Jesus really couldn't have been a man, which is why Paul spends so much time referring to Jesus as God in human flesh. Maybe, you know, you say, well, that's not really around today, is it? Or how many Christians are sitting around just waiting for God to snap their fingers and, and make them whole again? Like, oh, I'm just struggling with my life. If I just had some encounter, even in my Bible, like, if I just had one morning where I, I was, where there was some sort of, you know, spiritual kinetic energy or something, where I really felt the presence of God, then, then my life would be good. Or, man, if, maybe if I just listened to a sermon or read a book and just something, you know, I just, there's some, I'm just waiting on something to just really, you know, strike a chord with me spiritually. And then, then I'll be good and I'll be full and I'll be pure and I'll be, I'll be done with sin and this, this addiction that I have or this, these, um, this, this bent that I have towards sin. It'll all just be gone. If I can just hear an encouraging message, or if there's, if there's a key out there, a principle out there that I can just grab onto that'll make everything okay. That's not Christianity. That's Greek paganism. And then you have the Jewish legalism, which had a bunch of slogans and catchphrases. 
Remember, we read there in chapter 2 where it was like, uh, where they had this, this, some sort of slogan or catchphrase, phrase, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. There's your rules. Don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch that, and then you're a spiritual person. The Jews taught that circumcision and the Old Testament dietary laws were essential to becoming spiritually mature. They taught that the way you conquered evil and the sin within you was by committing to, a, to rigid discipline and religious rules. That was the way to make yourself spiritual. Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, which is something we read. Again, we need to put this before our minds. We notice what this says. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Did you notice that? They promote self-made religion and asceticism and even severity to the body. But hear the word of God. They have no value at all in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Do that all you want. You're not, you're not tackling your sin in those things. You're puffing yourself up. Paul is saying that you can dress yourself up in all the rigid rules and religious regulations that you can find. It's not going to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Never. And Paul is saying here, there's a danger. There's a danger when you start believing that there is something other than Jesus that will save you or make you whole. And that's why he says at the uh, chapter 3, he says, Christ is all and in all. We've got to be careful of these dangers because they're in our hearts, they're in our minds, and they're around us in society. When I was uh, in high school, we went on a, a missions trip to um, Arizona, and we put on a VBS for um, a small Baptist church there. I think it was even called like Desert Baptist or something like that. Anyway, it was really hot. We're out in the desert. And so after, I think it w we did VBS in the evenings because it was cooler. And so there was still daylight because it was summer, but after one of the, the VBS times, uh, me and some other guys in the youth group were just out running around, you know, by the cactus and, and uh, in the desert and stuff like that. And we're just, you know, just exploring um, until one of the local kids came out and said, hey, there's a, there's a lot of rattlesnakes out here. You should be really careful. And, you know, us city kids from Nebraska are like, rattlesnakes? What? That's crazy. So, you know, so then the idea there is we didn't really want to get bit by rattlesnakes. So we heard that there was a danger. So we went back to where... You know, Lord willing, there wasn't any rattlesnakes. But this is the kind of idea here. This is the, a young church. They're in unknown territory, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're new to Christianity. They're new to this whole spiritual thing. And now there's all these different people telling them what they need to do. Here's how you become spiritual. Jesus isn't enough. Follow these forms of spiritual enlightenment. Follow these forms of rules and regulations. And what Paul is coming, he's saying, hey, there's snakes out there. There's snakes out there. Avoid them. God cares about the endangered, and in Jesus, he gives them protection. God cares about the insignificant, and in Jesus, he gives them the highest potential. God cares about the endangered, and in Jesus, he gives them protection. And finally this morning, number three, God cares about the incomplete. God cares about the incomplete. And this kind of flows from the danger into kind of what we were already just talking about. But we all face the temptation to buy in. Because we just, we get it, don't we? Like we're not complete. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not the Christian I am. I'm not the father I am. The, the, fa the father I want to be. The husband I want to be. 
the pastor I want to be. And we start hearing these philosophies and these catchphrases and, and we look at ourselves and we see how incomplete we really are and we just like, ah, I gotta, I've got to pursue this higher experience with God. Or I've got to pile on rules and regulations. In college, I thought listening to Christian music was the way to become spiritually mature. I thought, like, if I was the guy, like, I didn't listen to any bad music, you know, like those other Christian college kids, you know, naughty, naughty. Like, if I was the guy, you know, listening to good Christian music on the radio, like, that was the way to spiritual maturity. Um, Just a heads up, it's not, it's not. My wife can tell you, that was not it. Whatever you did in college didn't work. That's what she would say to me. Uh, (laughs) And... uh, but it's not it. Or maybe you've, had, maybe you've had a real fallout with God. Maybe you've just been distant. Maybe it was a sin against somebody else. Maybe there are desires and things in your heart that have just taken over. And you know you're a Christian, but you've just, you've just, you're just far from him. And you're sitting there wondering, what do I have to do to get back to this God? What do I have to do to, to, to have that intimate relationship with my Savior that I had when I was first, first saved? Well, the idea, you could think, man, what do I have to pursue? Where do I have to go? What do I have to do? Do I have to go to church? If I go to church a bunch, what do I have to do? And the answer will always be the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. The need will always be to keep Jesus first because when Jesus has first place in everything, everything else will fall into place. Paul's desire was for them to know who Jesus really is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what an intimate relationship with Jesus can really do for you. He wants them to see that maturity will happen as you mature in him. It's the Jesus-oriented life, not the experience-oriented life or the rules-oriented life that leads to growth and fruit and blessing. And that's what this letter is about. God cares about the incomplete, and for that he has provided a person, Jesus himself. And Paul does this in two ways throughout the book. He tells us about the person of Christ. We read that in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He tells us all about who Jesus is. But then he tells us about the work of Christ. And this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is the third time we will have read this passage today. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's the person of Jesus in the work of Jesus. If our lives, however incomplete they are, revolve around the person and work of Jesus, then we can be confident that we are being carried on to completion. There's a reason chapter 1, the person of Jesus in chapter 1 And the work of Jesus in chapter 2 come before chapter 3. Which then talks about, hey, if if you're with Christ, here are some things you need to put to death. And here are some things you need to put on. But it starts with the person and work of Jesus Christ. You start with the person and work of Jesus Christ and God will put everything else into place as you grow in him. Because God cares about the incomplete. And he has given a person 
He has given us Jesus Christ. I trust you will cherish these wonderful discoveries about the caring heart of God. That number one, that God cares about the insignificant. And through Jesus, he gives them the highest potential. That God cares about the endangered. And in Jesus, he gives them protection. That God cares about the incomplete and has given them a person, Jesus Christ. Now some, maybe in here this morning or perhaps listening online, some of you may be insignificant, endangered, and incomplete, and that's where it stops. But God cares for you, and he's offering to you his son. He's offering to you to bring you under his care and his protection and give you life through Jesus Christ, if you would only trust in him. God cares for you, dear Christian. However insignificant, endangered, and incomplete you may feel, he has given you Jesus, and in Jesus you have potential, you have protection, and you have his very person. Let's pray. Lord, as we journeyed back in time this morning, we pray that those timeless truths of who you are would so grip our hearts. Thank you, God, for caring for us. Help us, Lord, to look to Jesus in everything we do. May we be found in him. May Jesus have first place in everything. And Lord, we'll leave you putting everything in its place after that. In Jesus' name, amen.